You are listening to National Security Law Today. Welcome to National Security Law Today, the podcast of the American Bar Association Standing Committee on Law and National Security. I am Nicole, a member of the committee staff. This week and next week, our podcast episodes will be about the Mueller Report. We'll be talking with Jamil Jaffer, the founder and executive director of the National Security Institute at George Mason University, Stuart Baker, a partner at the law firm of Steptoe & Johnson, Mark Zaid, a private national security practitioner and founder of the law offices of Mark Zaid, and Harvey Rishikoff, the chair of the ABA Standing Committee on Law and National Security's Advisory Committee. Both of our episodes were recorded on Friday, April 26th, prior to the publication of the letter between Robert Mueller and Attorney General William Barr and Attorney General Barr's testimony to the Senate. We will not be discussing those developments in the case and only focusing on the content of the report itself. All right, welcome to National Security Law Today, the podcast of the American Bar Association's Standing Committee on Law and National Security. I'm Elisa. Thanks for tuning in. The moderators of NSLT are national security lawyers here in their individual capacity and not on behalf of any agency or firm. We know that you are national security law nerds, which means you're in our tribe in the nicest and most inclusive sense of that term. And that means that you've read all 498, is that right, pages of the Mueller report. Uh, Probably the first night it was available online in, in lieu of binge watching anything on Netflix. So let's turn. Our guests today are Jamil Jaffer, Mark Zaid. We are very privileged to have with us today Stuart Baker of Steptoe & Johnson, and of course one of my favorite people in the world, Harvey Rishkoff. Thanks for coming. Thank you. Great to be here. Yes, thank you for the invitation. To share the room with this group is quite an honor. Yes, it's, it's intimidating. So let's, let's do this. I, uh, any discourse about what special counsel was supposed to be doing has been lost in, in the vortex of conversation focused exclusively on the president and whether or not he can be indicted. So let's actually, hey, we're lawyers. This is what we do. What was the scope of special counsel's authority here? Harvey? So uh, when Rod Rosenstein actually signed his order number 3915 2017. He did it pursuant to uh, the 28 U.S.C. 509, 510, and 515 for those of the people who are listening or interested in the statutory authority. And basically he appointed uh, Robert S. Mueller III to serve as special counsel. And the special counsel is authorized, this is uh, paragraph B, the special counsel is authorized to conduct the investigation confirmed by then FBI Director James B. Comey in testimony before the House Permanent Select Committee on Intelligence, what we know as HIPSI, on March 20th, 2017, including, one, any links and or coordination between the Russian government and individuals associated with the campaign of President Donald Trump, and two, any matters that arose or may arise directly from the investigation, and three, any other matters within the scope of 20 CFR section 600.4A in the whole. If the special counsel believes it is necessary and appropriate, the special counsel is also authorized to prosecute federal crimes arising from the investigation of these matters. And then what uh, Section 600.4A in the whole says when you look it up is original jurisdiction, 
The jurisdiction of a special counsel shall be established by the Attorney General. The special counsel will be provided with a specific factual statement of the matter to be investigated. The jurisdiction of a special counsel shall also include the authority to investigate and prosecute federal crimes committed in the course of and with intent to interfere with the special counsel's investigations, such as perjury, obstruction of justice, destruction of evidence, and intimidation of witnesses, and to conduct appeals arising out of the matter being investigated and or prosecuted. So that was the jurisdictional authority okay, that so Bob Mueller was granted. So that explains why we, we have the issue of conversation about obstruction of justice. It is certainly within the scope of the authority, but um, our, our listeners might remember that there was something called an independent counsel statute. Jamil, what happened to that thing? Well, it expired. Um, you know, there was a lot of debate about the independent counsel statute um, and whether it was a wise thing to have. Um, Congress initially enacted it um, with the view that uh, you needed to take this lawyer who investigated the president or, or the president's close affiliates or any part of the executive branch outside of the executive branch to have that independence report to Congress um, and, and issue its report to Congress. Well, um, after all the various investigations, including the Starr investigation, perhaps most prominently, uh, Congress thought the better of it and said, well, maybe maybe having the statute isn't such a great idea. Um, and they let it lapse. Um, and so it essentially expired. Um, and so then the question becomes, well, if the independent counsel statute expired, how do we end up with a special counsel in this case? And the answer is the Justice Department had always understood that it needed somebody to do these type of investigations where you needed some measure of independence from, uh, from the main Justice Department. And so prior to the independent counsel statute being in place, they had a special counsel set of regulations those regulations are, are now again in place, and uh, that's it was pursuant to those department regulations uh, that the special counsel was appointed in this, in this case. And then, of course, we know that uh, Attorney General uh, Jeff Sessions famously recused, as the president has repeatedly reminded us. Um, and, uh, and so the acting attorney general for the purposes of this investigation was Rod Rosenstein, the deputy attorney general. He oversaw the special counsel, and the reason he's overseeing the special counsel is because even though... The special counsel is designed to have some measure of independence, right? That measure of independence is constrained by the fact they still report to the head, the acting attorney, or the, the attorney general, in this case, Deputy, Deputy Attorney General Rod Rosenstein. And, and so, what, what, what was interesting about the change from the independence counsel statute to the regs what was the reconception of the report. It's, it's hard to underestimate how angry Democrats were about the Starr report. Uh, and so the regulations call for a confidential report to the attorney general saying, who did you charge, basically, and why, and who didn't you charge, and why. And the expectation was those reports would be short and probably confidential. And they there was no provision for referring potential impeachment cases to Congress and giving them facts, which was one of the bases for the Star Report getting into, you know, the blue dress and everything else. Yeah. And, yeah, that's right. And I would say another critical difference, if I remember correctly, I don't have the statute in front of me, is that the appointment process is a bit different. It was a three-judge panel, yes. which gave it a little bit more of per se independence since you were being supervised by Article Three judges as opposed to someone in the executive branch. And there was a lot of issues that used to be fought over 
over what the exact jurisdiction was, which was part of the Star report. Right, and, 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 and how and far jurisdictions, yes. everybody's jurisdiction seemed to expand faster than the galaxy, uh, as I remember. Uh, and, well, I would say uh, sometimes appropriately given where the investigation <laughs> led. Yeah. But, you know, let me add two points on that to throw out. Uh, one, I've, I've, take, I've been taken a little bit back by some of the Democrats in Congress, especially given how they argued so voraciously. I can't say that. Thank you. Vociferously. That's why I don't try to do whichever you can do. Aggressively. That's why I don't try to do by the way, for your vocabulary. The notion of how they objected to how the Star investigation report was handled, but yet some of the comments have been, we want to see now exactly what how the Star report. We want to see everything. And then they keep reminding us that there was a truck that drove up to the halls of Congress to deliver everything. But as Stuart just indicated, the, the special counsel regulations call for something very different, whereas in the independent counsel report with or invest or uh, set up for a star, it, it mandated that to happen. Then secondly, there, there no doubt will be lots of policy debates, legal and policy, about which is better, an independent counsel statute or the special counsel regulations. And while we can argue about how both were handled, I haven't heard or seen anything yet to indicate that Mueller and the Office of Special Counsel in any way, any way felt constrained in not being able to pursue what it wanted, mm. uh, putting aside the indictment issue, but from an investigatory standpoint, constrained to move forward uh, by anything by the Deputy Attorney General or Acting Attorney General in this concept. Uh, so the independence seems to have been there uh, no matter what the but political that, that, that may are. be the personality of Mueller. Uh, there weren't a lot of uh, uh, independent counsel uh, prosecutors who said, you know, I don't actually need this case. We'll send it to the Southern District. We'll send it to the uh, uh, District of D.C. Uh, Mueller was happy doing that. I'm not so sure that uh, other people who were more invested in being an independent counsel uh, would have been as generous in handing off cases. Well, but I mean, the other piece of it, though, too, is mm -hmm. that the AG did say that no investigative step was rejected, yep. right, uh, by the AG. And, you know, there were, there were I mean, hundreds of, 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 or, of warrants issued and, and wiretap orders or, or pen register orders, at least. Um, there were a number of things, requests for assistance from overseas. So, you know, a lot of investigative steps were taken. None of them were, were, were prevented by the acting attorney general um, at the time. And so it does seem like there was a lot of investigation done here. It's also worth noting that, you know, the, the president did repeatedly tell us that this investigation had gone on too long. It needed to be cut off. It was going on forever. Compared to other independent counsel investigations, this thing was very a short. A model I mean, of efficiency, A right? model of efficiency. Um, I mean, the Star investigation itself lasted, I mean, much longer. Ray investigation. I mean, there were years and years and years. So the idea that this investigation was somehow... Way too long, I think, is is even even as it ended. Um, uh, I don't think is really is really an accurate suggestion. But as you Stuart, as you Stuart. as you know, there have been uh, twelve referrals, fourteen actually. So there are some more shoes to drop, potentially that stem from this report. And a lot of redactions we see about some of those referrals. Yes. So uh, I don't think that this quote story is over vis-a-vis -vis what's going to happen potentially in the Southern District and other potential districts. I thought the president was exonerated completely. Did you not read the tweets, <laughs> Harvey? 
Yeah. As you know, I, I'm one that actually reads the report. Wait, the vortex in yes. this room. <laughs> as opposed to the press interpretation, which is always fascinating. I think one has to actually look at the words of the report. Well, Stuart, let's let's pivot here to what were the two main findings of the mm. report? And uh, there was it was inconclusive on on a third point, which was obstruction. Can you talk a little bit about the the two findings and its not being able to conclude on the third? Well, it, it, what they found was no conspiracy uh, between uh, the Trump campaign or really any American associated with the Trump campaign and the Russians, uh, that the Russians did interfere in the election, both um, building up uh, an online presence that was designed to show that to, to divide Americans. Uh, uh, the purpose of that was first to disadvantage Hillary Clinton in every possible way uh, and then to build up uh, her opponents, uh, first Sanders and then Trump. Uh, And uh, that the Trump campaign, although it was very particularly interested in the um, leaks of material from uh, uh, DNC uh, uh, sources, uh, um, never got to the point of actually agreeing in a criminal conspiracy sort of way with the Russians about anything they were doing. Uh, so that was, you know, to, to my mind, the fundamental uh, uh, finding in that regard. And then, of course, there was uh, a an elaborate discussion of obstruction of justice uh, in which uh, the special counsel never was in a position or never chose to say, we think that these acts constitute obstruction of justice that could be um, prosecuted uh, uh, if the president was amenable to prosecution. There, there are many possible reasons for not arriving at that conclusion, uh, uh, but uh, certainly one of them was the fact that the special counsel was uh, subject to the Justice Department position that the president, a sitting president, may not be indicted. Uh, uh, but it was also pretty clear from the discussion that there were defenses available to the president and evidentiary questions that made it not a uh, clear case of obstruction. Uh, I, the closest that I thought the report came to finding obstruction was. Uh, and this is very meta, they didn't find a crime uh, that, that, that would be covered up. They didn't find that he had obstructed justice. I think a fair reading of this is they didn't see obstruction of justice right through the, the firing of Comey, which is what triggered the investigation. So there was possible obstruction of an investigation into a crime that wasn't found and then a triggering event uh, for obstruction that also really didn't uh, turn out to be a particularly persuasive case. Uh, And so the principal uh, conclusions about or the principal arguments for obstruction of justice were that after the special counsel was named, uh, the president uh, did a lot to try to end that investigation as fast as he could and uh, as unceremoniously as he could, uh, but that for a variety of reasons, nobody else was willing to help him do that, and so it continued. Well, but, but Stuart, to be fair, you don't have to be guilty of a crime to obstruct justice, right? There are plenty, mm-hmm. I mean, the, the U.S. reports are littered with cases of people who, mm-hmm. A, weren't involved in the underlying crime, 
but went to go intimidate a witness, right? Went to go, uh, you know, went try to manipulate the, the system, right? There are plenty of cases like that. And in this scenario, at least, where you're concerned something might be discovered, right? If you go and try to end the investigation, right? It's hard to imagine that just because there's no underlying crime found, you're worried that something might be found and your so, attempt to try so, and stop I, it. I, I, I take your point. There is plenty of law, mm-hmm. and, and it's all cited in the uh, uh, special counsel's report. Uh, and yet we, this is a very political case, and the concept of what is corruptly and what kind of deference should be given to the president when he is exercising authority that is also his authority um, ties, to my mind, to the question of was there an underlying crime. I, uh, let's remember that the defense, the successful defense in the Clinton case, was he was lying about sex. Not about a crime. He was lying about sex. Uh, but let, let, I, before and, before it, we go it, off on that tangent, which is always fascinating, Stuart, um, one of the things that I think you would concur with, what the report does establish, which is a rather large tree in the forest, is that there clearly was Russian attempts of interference. Oh, for sure. In the no, election. Is anybody debating that? No, anymore? nobody well, is I think, But as you know, the president at some point seemed to be and taking the, the position he's, of he's just Mr. Putin <laughs> as to whether or not he'd been involved in any interference. So I think we, all right around this table concurs that there clearly was an attempt of interference in the electoral process. The consequence of that is debatable, but clearly there was interference as an established fact. Right, and, and nobody could debate that. Yeah. And, and, and I think the president, to, to, you know, to be fair to him, right, I think the president has to debate that is if he admits there was interference in the election and if there's even a suggestion that interference might have helped him, it undermines his entire legitimacy, his ability to get anything done. So you have to under, I mean, it, it, not that I'm, I'm not trying to defend the standing on stage and saying, I believe Mr. Putin, which is ridiculous, right? Um, but... You, you've, I mean, you've got to give a little sort of sympathy for where he's coming from on this, which right? undermines his entire presidency. Right? So now, I, I think there's an analytical difference. I agree. In being able to say simultaneously there was interference, but that interference may not be of determinative of the electoral outcome, which the president could take as a position he, he could. analytically. Be, and that would that be, would be subtle and nuanced. Right. Well, which again is not is not the. Current. I think it unlikely. <laughs> well, subtle and nuance is what the National Security Committee does. Yes, the way uh, when we talk about the notion of collusion by way of how it's been phrased, but really conspiracy, uh, and the Russian interference, there was a lot of evidence developed, most of which we knew, but more precisely in the report, where the president, as ca- as part of the campaign and his campaign people were actively engaged with Russian bots and others promoting the talking points, but the, the fact that it didn't rise to a criminal level was because apparently they didn't know that's who they were interacting with. So they were engaged. And, and fairly, to be fair, nobody did. Right? Oh, no, of course. I mean, and, and a lot of it. But, it, you know, it's, it's, a, it's very interesting. And, of course, one of the things that highlights is the notion that this report, which we weren't sure of before it came out, is completely law enforcement in nature. This is a result of a law enforcement investigation. There's no counterintelligence analysis within this report, which was, in a positive way, there's no withheld classified information in this report, which we weren't sure was going to be the case. That's still being – there must be some other report somewhere else. They, 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 have some, they have a passage in which they say, we had a whole bunch of counterintelligence guys on staff, and every time we turned up something that was relevant – for counterintelligence purpose, they took it back to the FBI and handled it there. And so they're 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 working on that 
separately. Which is weird because the entire premise of the AG's order was authorizing the special counsel to conduct the very counterintelligence investigation that Comey announced at his testimony. So what what doesn't make any sense here, what's really odd here is the very initiating factor of this was the counterintelligence investigation. That was what the special counsel was given authority to do. And then he did this other thing over here, which involved finding a, whether there's a crime of conspiracy to defraud the United States, right, which is all fine and well. But interestingly, I don't know and get really what happened to his responsibility for the counterintelligence investigation. Don't you think that very quickly the, uh, the investigators realized there was not a lot of collusion here? There, the collusion case – never had much weight. And so there was no need for him to keep the counterintelligence uh, investigation so as to be able to uh, uh, continue to investigate people who were in the administration or close to the president for collusion. So I think the phrase is not collusion in the actual order. The phrase is any links or coordination. And a link and coordination to me is a little bit different than the concept of yeah, either collusion. Well, I think there are links. There are a lot of links. And I think there's a number of indictments which have been generated of relationships of members of the large Trump, quote, election group who had ties or links to individuals who ended up having ties or links to Russian operatives. What, what is odd, Harvey? Is I, you know, I, I have to say, you know, uh, this is a Kevin Bacon style analysis, uh, and uh, I'm, I, I'm guessing you could find that. I mean, everybody in the world wants to be able to say I'm close to the president elect, right. uh, and and so everybody is looking for some toehold with Stuart, the campaign. Stuart, uh, come I, on. The thank people you who have been long. indicted, okay, were the president's <laughs> campaign manager. policy advisor to the president who was at a, it wasn't the reception at, yeah. at a meeting three seats over, right? Yeah. I mean, let's not... And, and by the way, <laughs> what I think is interesting, though, is we didn't see indicted an attempt to conspire, right? Now, conspire, conspiracy requires an agreement and maybe... Yeah. Meeting you know, of the minds are, is the right, language, an attempt, correct. Right, a meeting of the minds and, and an overt act. And so maybe there, there isn't an attempt provision here, right? But what's interesting is there were a lot of attempts, yeah. right? I mean, I mean, George Papadopoulos is like, get me the info, right? And, 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 and they, they went to the media, the Trump Tower, with the idea that they were going to get dirt on Hillary Clinton, right? That was a whole plan. In fact, when that didn't turn out to be the case, Kushner was like, get me out of this meeting, right? Get, you know, somebody <laughs> call me and let me get out because I'm, I'm not getting what I want out of this. She wants to talk about, you know... Uh, you know, whatever. Okay, you know what that yeah. is? Good time management. Um, <laughs> but right. e- even without, just throw in, there was even, I would say, a lot of coordinated activity, but at times it was independent coordinated activity that they didn't know they were actually working together sort of in the same way of, you know, just because you're paranoid doesn't mean someone's not trying to kill you. So you're, I mean, so you're the theory being that he sent sort of semaphore signals. Whatever you might do that would be helpful, go ahead. One hour later, a dump of emails type of thing. Well, let's pivot because we could be arguing. This could actually get ugly in here. No, and no, I, I would I, hate to have a I podcast think, that degenerated into a riot. I think we appropriately established Stewart's backing down from his original <laughs> position. So I think that's perfect, really. Excuse me, but it's, <laughs> I, 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 I will say I have not seen presidential campaigns up close, but I've been – around them and they are not pretty and nobody's is pretty and if you went into anybody's campaign you want to write and and, 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 you and, wash and, your and hands? threatened to uh, indict everybody unless they told you all the dirt you'd have ugly stories out of everyone and the oppo research 
part of the campaign. You just, you know, you want to take a shower after you walk past that office. <laughs> so that, so that is actually an important point to be worth, with us worth noting, which is that this whole, you know, uh, dossier that everyone's all yeah. freaked out about, right, did not begin as a Hillary Clinton operation. It began on our side, right, with with the Republican candidate. We don't know who. Was it right? Daily Caller? I don't. That right? Yeah, yeah. That's right. It, that, that's right. I mean, mm-hmm. so let's just, I mean, just call it what it is. I the mean, original you know, sin. The original sin. Okay. <laughs> all right. We've traced it back to its origins, the original <laughs> DNA. Uh, the amoeba in the water that once became a human. Okay, why can't a sitting president be indicted? Because this is this has been the subject of a lot of discourse, and apparently out there there is an OLC opinion that drills down on this. Two. Um, there are two. Thank you. Good point, um, Jamil. Well, so uh, this is a really interesting question, right? Is, can the president be indicted for, in particular, in this case? For acts that we all accept are within his lawful authority. I don't think anybody here, and I'd be interested to know, but I don't think anybody here is going to debate whether the president can fire the FBI director or, frankly, for that matter, fire the attorney general, right, or fire any member of the executive branch, right? And I'd be interested to know if people want to debate that. Yes, because I would say when I was working for uh, Director Director Free, our working assumption is that the um, director could only be fired for cause. That Uh, was our working assumption. Well, now we did not believe that there could just be a sua sponte firing of the director of the FBI without any clear res, a thing or a cause. Well, so of course the FBI director staff would think with that. The, with the, 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 the free By the way, all my directors served their entire term. But just like the Office of Legal Counsel would, would take the position that, of course, the president can fire anybody in the executive branch. Right. So it's a hot debate. But, but and it, that's it, why, by the way, we said that the director had a 10 year term, whereas the attorney general was appointed and served at the pleasure that there was a statutory defense of that logic or argument. And that, and that is a fair defense. Right. But let's so let's take for a second the notion that the president can is acting his own authority when he at least acts to fire. Right. Then the question is, is. Do, do the motives matter, right? And if he if he puts out a, a facially acceptable motive, right, does that matter for the purpose of prosecution? This is why it gets really hairy because yes. at the end of the day, what the, what the Office of the Council is looking at and their role, to be fair in this process, is to defend the authorities of the president at every turn, right, in the most expansive view of those authorities, regardless of whether you're a unitary executive person or not, <laughs> OLC takes the unitary executive view and pushes it to its, 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 its legal conclusion. Now, that being said, right, it, 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 what, what matters a lot here is, okay, so Mueller doesn't indict because he says he can't indict him. Great. What does any of that matter for Congress? And let me make the argument no. that it doesn't. Because no, the entire premise of we can't indict a sitting president is, the, the, re, the resolution of that is, it's in the hands of Congress. If they want to take him out, they have the impeachment power. That's the story behind every OLC opinion is, it's not our problem, it's Congress's problem. So now that Congress has this report, right, they can't get out of the we don't want to impeach or whatever by saying, well... The president can't be indicted while he's sitting. No, the president can be invested by Congress and can be removed. I'm not saying they should do that. In fact, the Democrats should probably look at the lesson the Republicans learned from the impeachment of Clinton, right? But, but Jamal, that is clearly their authority. Jamal, you, let's, would you agree analytically, if it was beyond a shadow of doubt or beyond you know, reasonable doubt, that the president murdered his wife in bed, that he would be liable for an indictment? There is no separation of powers concern there that I can see. So the answer would be yes. But here, here the separation of powers concern is very clear. The president, at least in the the things he did, firing, removing, ending an investigation, whatever he tried to do, all those things are squarely 
with at least at least within the ambit of his power. So right? you're arguing he has a colorable claim. He's a colorable claim that it's within his authority, which then triggers the separation of power, it, which then triggers, for your view, why it can't be indicted. Is it, that the it, argument? Ex- exactly. Now I'm not saying yeah. he can't be indicted. I'm well, saying reduces the theoretical possibility it is, constitutionally. It is it is a very constitutionally problematic situation yeah. you walk into when you're at war with the president allegedly trying to obstruct justice on one hand and the president acting in his constitutional authorities when doing so, that is literally the heart of any separation of powers fight. Do we really want a special counsel resolving that? I actually think, you know, gut instinct, that's Congress's job. Are they going to do it? Almost certainly not. So in your worldview, this is much more of a political question between the separation of powers in which the traditional notion of what a prosecutor does at the Department of Justice is not really, quote, the appropriate role under your view of the constitutional design, I think I think that's right. But 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 let me but let me let me let me let me caveat that a little bit, which is um, in a scenario where um, the president is alleged to obstruct justice in an investigation as against himself or people closely associated with him, mm-hmm. that question becomes even harder, right? In in in, in yes. on the other side, which is you can't imagine a world in which the president ought to be permitted to terminate an investigation into himself. That seems anathema to our very system of government, right? And the idea that the only thin read we have to rely on is impeachment, which is obviously extremely yeah. difficult to do, seems hard to believe also. And so I'm not I'm not so sold on this concept. But I will say there are very strong arguments that you ought to be very careful in the separation of powers place. But frankly, the president should be careful in conducting that fire for so the very same reason. That is the Nixon experience. Exactly right. That's what you're saying. Exactly That's right. where we get into it, tip okay, That's another vortex in but, which but we can is, all be sucked. <laughs> I'll throw but, in real quick. This, this is where that problem with the OLC opinion goes from the, the two areas of where you guys are talking about. Yeah. The notion of if he murdered his wife, that seems really clear. We should be able to indict the sitting president versus is he exercising his constitutional authority and then it becomes fuzzy as to what the defense is. But somewhere there's got to be something in between these facts are not those, but you know, if there had been any type of proof derived by the special counsel that there had been a quid pro quo between Trump and Putin, if you do this, Mr. Trump, I will give you your building in Moscow, uh, something that would not be within his presidential authority that would go more to personal business interests, where would that fall within the OLC opinion? Not, I guess that's a law that's review good. article yeah, that, that Jamil can pre- write at some point but, in time. Yes, and that does though that activity reference does predate his time in office and his. Um, if yeah. it had, no, but if it had continued, I mean, you could come up continued. with a factual pattern but, that but would continue th- into the president. I think in this case, why you are the two you know extremes on the continuum, where the uh, special prosecutor started tiptoeing up to the notion of obstruction of justice, vis-a-vis the investigation, are his which is the body of the report, are the 10 examples in which he lays out that there believes that there's an obstruction argument and there's a different, there's an array of what those obstruction counts could be vis-a-vis his color of power and his willing to want to stop or restructure that investigation. So let me, let me see if I can uh, offer two um, hopefully conversation closing uh, observations. <laughs> I, my view is that Anytime the president is under indictment and fighting criminal, uh, a criminal case, the government of the United States is in turmoil and uh, um, that's a bad thing. Uh, mm-hmm. If the president murders his wife, the, the 
most appropriate thing is to remove him from office, not to have an indictment and then decide whether he can be out on work release to make decisions as president. Uh, uh, that would be uh, – so it seems to me that any criminal prosecution of a sitting president is a – such a bad thing that we should instead privilege the idea of removing him from office. Uh, I, and uh, uh, in any event, it doesn't matter here because the law is, is clear. The, the Justice Department is bound by its own decision that he's not in, uh, indictable. Uh, and so he's not going to be indicted. And there is a, a, there's no serious proposal to change the law to go back to the old days where Ken Starr would make the decision. Mm -hmm. uh, and consequently, I, I think we can set that aside. There is a question, did the president commit things that we would think of as crimes equivalent to murdering your wife uh, or Nancy Pelosi? Uh, it, but uh, uh, the um, uh, my view is that case is thin enough and I would say meta enough Right? No crime that he was covering up. No actual the, – the things that actually produced the determination to launch this investigation also don't look like obstruction of justice. So he's obstructing – he thinks, and with some justification after this report, that he is completely innocent and that this investigation is screwing up his entire term uh, and he wants it over. Um, that's a perfectly natural end reasonable position to take. And to want to terminate it is not a, an, an obstruction of justice in my view. Though, but would you say it's a fair reading of the document that he has been exonerated from obstruction of justice given all of the hanging chads that are no, in the, the, the report? The report so makes I, it clear they don't exonerate him, but right? they set the highest possible standard for deciding whether they're going to exonerate him. They, here's what they said. Mm. We, we would exonerate the president if we had confidence after a thorough investigation that the president clearly did not commit obstruction of justice. So it's a standard of we have to have confidence that he's clearly innocent before we're going to exonerate him. Mm -hmm. So that's a pretty high standard. So they decided he didn't they, the, the evidence didn't meet that standard. I kind of agree with them. Mm -hmm. uh, and so instead they laid out a summary of the evidence mm -hmm. that from which you could conclude that he obstructed justice and not not surprisingly if there's a D after your name, you think he did. And there's an R after your name, you no, kind of don't. But, but, All right, let's, 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 let's the move one on. Caveat, I, one caveat yeah. I would say is not settled law, it's settled policy. But it was policy that wasn't changed for the last eight years and through another tenure. Um, and, and so somebody gave that consideration at the highest levels of DOJ, and frankly the big brains. Um, and made a decision to keep it in place. So I, I, I mean, I'm reluctant to Mueller ever could, hear us change. He couldn't change that. He's subject he to it. And nor should we be changing policy anecdotally based on, I mean, I guess that no. that's my point. Thank you for listening to National Security Law Today, the podcast of the American Bar Association Standing Committee on Law and National Security. To find out more about Black Letter Law and articles on these topics, check the show notes or visit us online at AmericanBar.org slash NatSecurity. You can visit our website to find out more about the ABA and the Standing Committee, including upcoming events. You can also follow us on Twitter at ABANATSAC or drop us a line at nationalsecurity at americanbar.org. We welcome your feedback. Please join us again next week for part two of our episode on the Mueller Report. Thank you for listening, and as always, we'll see you next time. 
The views expressed on national security law today have not been approved by the House of Delegates or the Board of Governors of the American Bar Association and accordingly should not be construed as representing ABA policy.